I wonder how good you are at thinking about the future. As a community of God's people gathered here, we're, we're all at different stages in life, so therefore the future looks different for us all. Some are still young and in many respects have their full lives as far as we can tell in front of them. Some are here who have lived more years than they have ahead of them. But we all have a future of some kind, whether it's in the next few minutes or whether it's the next year or the next decade. We all have a future of some kind. And I wonder, whenever you think about that future, what what comes to mind? For those who are young, perhaps you're looking to your studies And then from your studies into your job, your your first job. Or maybe if you're a little bit older along the journey, you're already thinking about changes in your job or indeed changes at home. Or perhaps if you are either on the eve of your golden years or very firmly in your golden years, you're thinking about what retirement has or indeed what the remainder of years left will look like. I think there's something in human nature that that always makes us think about the future. Whether it be Sunday lunch, whether it be back to work tomorrow morning, whether it be life changes in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years. One of the first things uh, that we did at the Christian Union I attended at university way back in 1997 was to write down where we wanted to be in 10 years' time. So, as an 18-year-old in 1997, thinking ahead to what 2007 might look like, here's what I wrote on the little piece of card that I still have at home. I wanted to be married. I wanted to work for Armagh Tourism. I wanted to live in the home area where I had grown up and to serve and worship in the church that had always been my home simple as that. Come 2007, not one of those things had ever been fulfilled. At the age of 18, my future was what I wanted it to be, or so I thought. The reality of my future was very different 10 years on in 2007. What I had wanted at that time was not exactly the way that God had wanted my life to go the flow, the natural rhythms of living God had ordained and mastered in such a way that I find myself in the place where I am right now. 1997 was my dream. But the reality was going to be something very different. It struck me that whenever we think of future, we always think of it in terms of success or what the success that's expected by our culture So we dream about the job that will bring in a good salary, that will enable us to have a good home. The society we live in tells us that marriage is a priority above any other status. And so therefore society tells us that get married, have kids, educate your kids, bring them up well so that they can then get back into this loop of a good education a good job with a good salary, to get a good home, to get married, to have more kids, 
And so the cycle continues. Once we get beyond that cycle of kids growing up that this world tells us is the perfect way, we want the nice house. We want our children to be respectable as adults. We want a healthy retirement. Whenever we think of the future, it's generally in terms of success. And we normally slip into that thinking that it's the success that the world will have for us. Because our society tells us that if we don't fit the mold of this culture, then it is perceived that there's something wrong with us. Psalm 26 this morning torpedoes this false and hurtful pressure completely out of the water and says that our culture misses the important aspect of living and that that is a life given to God. Our culture completely ignores the life that God calls his people to live and rather forces us to get into its mold, to get into its rat race, to get into its cycle so that it can tell us when we are good and when we're not, when we fit in and when we don't. Psalm 26 says that is baloney. God give us life as a community to worship him where we all fit in. Where we all have a place where we can be loved and we can know love. Over these past few weeks we've been trying to see this in the Psalms. We It was a corny title, but we had to go for it. Songs in the Key of Life. But yet the rhythm of these songs teach us that there's something deeper about this life, something deeper than the surface of this world. It can never teach us. And Psalm 26, like other Psalms that we've looked at already, is heavily, heavily influenced by Psalm 1, right where the Psalms begin. Psalm 1 is unique in the rest of of the Psalms. It is the one that really doesn't fit in, but is the catch-all, the the great umbrella Psalm that covers everything. Psalm 1 is about resting in God and allowing him to be the provider, the sustainer, the comforter, and the saviour. I'm going to be honest and say whenever I, I chose the Psalms that I would be doing, we all got to say what we wanted to do. Uh, those of us who have been preaching the Psalms over the summer, And I wanted to stay systematically, so Psalm 23, 24, and 25. I chose 26, and whenever I read it, I thought, I wish I hadn't. And I was very tempted to jump over it and go straight to a much easier Psalm like 27. But whenever I read read Psalm 26, I, I thought about it and read other things about it. It struck me that there is no better Psalm that I would want to be looking at this morning. It is a Psalm for all of life. A psalm that teaches us that God's ways truly are the best ways for us. You see, whenever you first read this psalm, I don't know whenever you read the first couple of verses, um, what came into your head? The psalmist writes, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. It almost seems as if the psalmist is trying to say, Look at me. I'm the boy. Aren't I great? And that put me off straight away. Because I thought, here's a psalm 
that's trying to say, let's deal with all the things that I've done wrong, but let's just all make it right in one fell swoop. Doesn't matter, just let's make it all right. In fact, Michael Wilcock, one of the commentators, says that this is the psalmist. It almost seems as if he's being so self-righteous, it is unbelievable. We can see David as the player queen from Hamlet as he doth protest too much. I struggled with the word vindicate. It normally means make me right when I'm not. What is the psalmist trying to do? Is he really trying to justify himself? It'll take the rest of the psalm to teach us what he really means because in this context of this psalm he says, I am surrounded by evildoers. I am surrounded by sin. And so the cry of this psalmist is to be shown as faithful in the eyes of God. The verse continues to say that the psalmist has lived a blameless life. We mustn't understand that this is a life that has been sinless. Of course not. It is very much believed that this is a psalm that was written by David. We know that David did not live a sinless life. David had much sin in his life. But rather we should see this blameless life as integrity. The psalmist has lived a life of integrity where the heart and the passion of this singer is devoted to God. And this is proved in verse 2 where the psalmist is confident that if he were proved, just as precious metal is proved, he will be shown as a man of integrity in his worship of God. In verse 3, we get a glimpse of the daily life of the singer who states that they walk continually in the truth of God and always keep his love before them. This is someone who desires to follow in the ways of the Lord. Someone who walks in this way is serious and sincere about their relationship with God. If we believe that in God we find perfect love and full truth, then we will want our lives to be full of that genuine love and be lives that stand for and speak for God's truth. In verses 4 and 5, they show us the situation of the psalmist. We've already mentioned it. The world in which they live is described as being surrounded by sin on every side. But the psalmist is clear that he does not associate with these people. Deceitful men, hypocrites, evildoers. In fact, the psalmist does everything that they can to stay away from this influence of sin. And rather than go to these places where you will find these evildoers, verse 6 to 8 tells us that the psalmist goes to the place of worship where God's people are gathered so that they can together sing and tell of God's wonderful deeds. The psalm quickly comes in verses 9 and 11, drawing to a close where the psalmist recognizes that there will be a judgment and calls on God to show mercy, to look on him as an individual who has sincerely followed God rather than someone who is part of a collective identity or group, in this case, the children of Israel. The psalmist recognizes that God is able to save those who are genuinely his, but those who are not will be judged and will perish. And so, in 12 short verses, the psalmist finishes with a commitment to continue to worship and trust in the Lord. And this is done in a community of those gathered as a great assembly, all doing likewise. So Psalm 26, 
takes us through a perspective on life. It's divided up into five sections. The first one being the psalmist is before God, affirming their integrity in worship of God. Secondly, the psalmist does not allow the sin of the culture and the world to influence them. Thirdly, the psalmist states his innocence by being in the place of worship. Fourthly, the psalmist seeks to be judged as an individual rather than being included in a collective national judgment. And finally, the psalmist affirms their commitment to continue in the worship of God. In fact, whenever we hear those five things, it becomes very apparent that this isn't just a perspective of life. As if it were one of the options that we could select in our discipleship journey with Jesus Christ. It turns out that these are the priorities of life. And that's what Psalm 26 is about. The priorities of life. At each stage of this psalm, the psalmist is stating in one way or another their personal devotion to God and the life that he calls them to live. And when we think about it, Whenever we think that's okay, that's fine, that's in the Old Testament 3,000 years ago. But whenever we think 2,000 years ago of when Jesus came to live on this earth, it wasn't any different. Throughout the gospel, we see how Jesus went about his daily life. He healed people. He brought hope into lives where there was hopelessness. He spent quality time with friends. He ignored no one. He spoke the truth even when people didn't like it. He showed love to everyone, especially to those who were rejected by the rest of their culture. And he gave himself as a sacrifice. The only one who could. A sacrifice so that we could know that what he said was true. And it would be an enablement for us to be reconciled to God. And Jesus did this in a culture that was pressuring and influential on how people should live their lives. He lived in a society that rejected the truth about God. He lived at a time when going against the status quo meant that you were ostracized from the community that valued community above everything else. And does this again sound familiar? Perhaps it does because the times of the psalmist and the times of Jesus are not really that different from our times. Yes, we dress differently. We have so many technological advancements. But the issues are the same. Those who follow Jesus and are worshippers of the truth of God are rejected by the society that wants to influence us so much. This is the last sermon I will preach as the assistant minister at Kirkpatrick Memorial. I have served here for four years. Four years that have been happy years for Pamela and myself, as this community of God's people have welcomed us, have loved us, and have made us one of their own. There have been good times. And there have been hard times along the road in these four years, as together we have discovered God's way for us in the days that lie ahead. For me, I couldn't skip over Psalm 26 and just go straight to Psalm 27, because if there's any one message that I want to leave 
as my time here draws to a close. It's this simple message that followers of Jesus are to devote themselves to loving him and to serving him every day of their lives. And we do this together. As I reflect on four years of ministry here and four years of knowing love from this community, there's no way I could have done it on my own. People, people have been helpful and encouraging. Odd jobs have been done around our house. People have commented on sermons. People have corrected on sermons. All of which has been great to receive. But the one message that I still try to figure out in my life and that my desire would be for you to figure out in your life is to continue on this journey that he has called you on. Never to waver from it. But in fact, perhaps using Psalm 26 as a model of how a life following Jesus could be lived and should be lived. We call ourselves Christians. And that all started back in Acts 11 in Antioch. Not as some kind of name to identify Christians by themselves, but rather a derogatory term used to make fun of them. They were called Christians and marked as to be the lowest of all in the society in which they live. In the Gospels, Jesus told his disciples that he wasn't going to be around for much longer and that what they had learned from him, they were to go and to live in their everyday lives. In John 20, 21, Jesus tells his disciples that as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And this has been the purpose of every follower of Jesus since then. At the start of John's Gospel, John tells us exactly why Jesus had been sent. In John 1 verses 10 to 15 we read about Jesus. He was in the world and through, sorry, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus came so that rather than having a slang word used to determine who we are, such as Christians, Jesus came that we would have the right and the privilege to be called the children of God. There is no greater name or position. But the problem is, just like in the times of David and in the times of Christ, we are pressured on every side by the culture in which we live. A culture that completely rejects Jesus and the truth that he brings. Friends, keep going 
in this life of following Jesus and keep going together. The psalmist in Psalm 26 is not some self-righteous person who thinks more of himself than he actually is. He is someone of integrity who at every moment in life lives for God. Do likewise. Don't be fooled by the world that says all ways are truth. Or don't allow the practices of this world to influence your thinking. Follow the ways and the thinking of Jesus so that we can stand together in the great assembly praising the Lord. So what does that look like? Integrity in every facet of life. It's how we handle ourselves in our places of work. To be known as men and women of integrity because of Jesus Christ. It's how we parent in our homes so that we will be marked as parents of integrity, integrity in Jesus Christ. It's how we work with each other in this place. We work with each other as integral people, people of integrity, loving one another where each one is accepted and loved. Yes, there will be differences. We will differ theologically on a spectrum that who knows how broad it is. But as people who are privileged to be called the children of God, we are to be a people of integrity at church, at home, at work, in every dealing, in every moment with the world around us. We are to be the people that Jesus wants us to be, his people, living the way that he has given us as an example by which we should live. Brothers and sisters, none of us know what the future will hold. We certainly cannot organize it or fashion it in the way that we want it to go. That is exclusively God's privilege. And to be honest, why would we want to organize it all ourselves? We can dream about what will make us happy and content in the future. But the reality is that only true happiness and contentment comes from a life devoted to Jesus Christ. This is the desire that I have for my own life. And it's the desire that I have for each of you to be devoted to Jesus. And, in, and is our devotion that of Psalm 26, where we desire to have God's love ever before us and walk continually in his truth so that we can know our place in that great assembly worshipping God. And that assembly will be gathered for all eternity. Let us pray. Father, we worship and gather around your word this morning as your people. We are sinful people. If we are truly honest, we recognize that about ourselves. We tell lies. We gossip. We do things to get our own ways over and above other people. 
We assert at times that we are right when there may be some error. We choose to ignore our own sin and point out the sin of others. Father, this is what it is to live in a sinful world. But your love is always greater than our sin. Your love captures our hearts so much that you draw us to yourself and you show us your son. Your son who paid the price so that we wouldn't have to. So Father, for all the lying, all the gossip, all the backstabbing and all the sin that was, is within our lives, forgive us and save us from sinning. Make us people of integrity who follow your truth and who know and show your love. And Father, when we do get it wrong and when we do fall into the temptation of sin, we ask for your forgiveness. But Father, deal with the guilt. Help us to know that we will be standing on solid ground, not judged by the assembly that is gathered around us, but rather loved because of the transforming work that you are doing in our lives. Thank you that we go through this journey of life together. Help us to know this. Help us to live it. And help us to show it to one another. Our Father God, continue to do your life-changing work in each of us so that we will be truly marked as children who belong to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.